It's often a bit mystifying how brands magically go viral overnight. Sometimes they make it big, and other times they crash and burn. Is the road to brand fame and a bump to the bottom line worth the risk? I'm Alexis. And I'm Melissa. And we're just a little obsessed with these marketing moments. So join us as we break down the craziest brand stunts, from how the idea sparked to how the heck they pulled it off. Or didn't, and of course, will it stick? Hi, Alexis. It's like been a minute. It has been a minute. We've just We're been... We're back in the little cozy chairs. <laughs> We're back in the kid room, our little recording studio, dream come true. <laughs> we will be recording at Good Vibe Media pretty soon. Oh my Carly, gosh. your studio is amazing. So I can't wait. You're going to die. It's, it's like, at the Maryland, right? Yeah, it's oh super God. cute, like trendy. We're going to feel really professional when we're in there. <laughs> I love it. I Because I feel like we fake it a lot. Like, yeah. We're good at faking the professionalism. Like if anyone saw this, beautiful. <laughs> Lindsay walked in. Our friend was over. After we worked out, she came and showered at Alexis's house. And she was like, so this is your recording studio? <laughs> <laughs> There's like clothes in the corner there's legos on the ground there's like yep it's a kids room it is now turned into the dress-up room so maybe bef- next time you can put on like a halloween costume uh, the, we have a hot dog costume if you want to wear I that i like that gold sequin dress when's the last time you wore that little ditty oh my gosh that was a hot minute that was like year three of serendipit yeah that's been a while i've probably time to get rid of it get rid of it <laughs> hey man does it bring you joy it comes back. Gold sequin dresses are in at like oh, Christmas time. Totally. But I guess of all people who could fit into clothes from 10 years ago, 100% you could. Oh, yeah. I still have some stuff from college. Oh, my God. Oh, Melissa. Well, Not Melissa. She does a swap and drop every weekend. I do a swap and drop. I am an anti-hoarder. I'm going to go through Wes's. This is what I get in a lot of trouble because I just go through and throw shit away. And he's like, where'd that shirt go? I'm like, the shirt, shirt was disgusting. The shirt 2001 that I wore that one time. At like, that concert with the memories. I know. Before we moved into the new house, I made a pile of Mark's clothes because he's not gone through his clothes in no less than eight to 10 years. And he wears the same 12 things, but he has... 220 things, you know? So I was like, this is out of control. I made piles of like, this is for sure we're getting rid of. This is the pile I'm not sure, but like, I was like pretty sure we're getting yeah. rid of it. <laughs> and then there was like the key pile. He How was, many things moved to the key? Well, actually, not as many as I thought, but he threw a fit when he saw that I even went through it. Oh, but then when he actually looked at it, I think he gave up after like five things. Like, she's probably right. <laughs> you know, so, men, just listen to us. Just We know it trust. looks cute. Yes. Well, we're not talking about shopping or men or podcast rooms. I have a little trivia for you. Okay. What is the only beverage that both basketball players in the NBA and football players in the NFL can drink on the sidelines at the game besides water? Oh, I just know, I don't know, Gatorade? Yes. (laughs) Gatorade. Gatorade, I mean, they shell out so much money to the NBA, the NFL, and a ton of other sports, like leagues and types of sports, just to be like the only brand you see on the sidelines. That's brilliant. I mean, they have the branded coolers. The players have like the branded water bottles. The reality is they don't all drink Gatorade, right? Like they probably put whatever they want in them, but 
the branding is all Gatorade. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like they have those huge Igloo coolers that are all branded Gatorade. And now it's like Igloo is not even a thing. It's they, I think Gatorade's in there. Yeah. Or, or a barrel of fun. What's a barrel of fun? Oh, you don't know the barrel of fun? You didn't see Jordan's desk? It's like the Igloo cooler that, um, and actually we're bringing down to Mexico. And it's like a thing filled with awesome tequila margaritas. And you just keep pushing and it's a barrel of fun. So it's like a, it's like a spout. So you're telling me that one of our employees has this on her desk at work? <laughs> Slightly concerned. She doesn't have alcohol in it. She got it for her birthday the other day. Okay, okay. I was like, she ma- manages like c- quite a bit of our finances. <laughs> All right. She's just like, mm, little take spout. a little sip. <laughs> well, okay, good to know she's not drinking tequila on the job daily. Gatorade spends somewhere around $18 million per year for its NBA exclusive partnership alone. That's not the NFL. That's insane. I know. Many times, like I said, it's, you know, really just water. But Gatorade has the presence, which is really impressive. And since its inception, Gatorade has been directly associated with sports. Yeah. I mean, even its founding happened on the football field. Did you know that? No. Do you know the founding story? No. I just remember an ad where he's like sweating Gatorade. I love that ad. Who's he? I feel like it was Michael Jordan. Okay. Okay. Well, it was summer 1965, and the University of Florida assistant football coach, Dwayne Douglas, had a problem that he had to solve. Okay. Like any good entrepreneurial person, right? So many of his players were wilting in the heat. Like, they could not handle it. This is Florida. It's obviously humid AF, right? And they're playing full out football in the heat and they're not handling it well. And he also was like, why the hell are none of them peeing during the games? Like no one ever has to pee. Well, because they're so damn dehydrated. Yeah. And so he approached a group of scientists on the university campus and he asked if they had any ideas about how he could replace the bodily fluids that are lost during physical exertion in the heat. And the scientists led by Dr. James Robert Cade, were like, we can, we're up for this task. Yes, we can do this. So they got to work. And Cade figured out that he could solve this problem by helping players replace those like lost resources. He stirred together some sodium, sugar, and monopotassium phosphate with water to create a drink that we now know as Gatorade. And he originally did call it Gator. Aid, A-I-D, like Gator, like the Florida Gators. Yeah. Aid, because it was for the Florida Gators, right? Oh my gosh, crazy. Mm-hmm. But actually, one of the reasons they ended up not calling it Gator A-I-D when they actually went to market down the road was because the FDA has this rule that if you use the word aid, aid. A-I-D, it has to like, you have to be able to prove your medical claims because like it's a medical term, which I had no idea. So like they just changed it around to be A-D-E, just like lemonade, you know, which has now become kind of like synonymous, like A-D-E means beverage kind of, right? Yeah. But I never knew that like A-I-D had to be verified. That's weird. Yeah. But also they didn't want to call it Gator Aid as in like it aids the gators because they knew the commercial potential of, or eventually they were like, this could be commercially like marketed and they didn't want it to be so specific. So they made it Gatorade, just one word with A-D-E. So I thought that was really interesting. 
But the drink they first created, like I said, contained these like salts and sugars that could be absorbed much more quickly in your body, but it tasted fucking awful. Like they had 10 football players who originally like in the study, it was a very informal study. Like no one was hooked up to machines. It was like, drink this and go play football. And then, so 10 of them drank it and the other players didn't drink it. And the guys who would drink it were like puking when they would drink it because it tasted so foul. Oh. So quickly, the scientists, I mean, they're not foodies. They're scientists. Yeah. Like they're just mixing chemicals. They added lemon juice and it tasted much better. Wow. So soon all the whole team was on board because they realized the 10 players, they were performing better apparently. And everyone on the Florida Gators was drinking Gatorade. Okay. Cool. In 1967, Gatorade gained major credibility across the country when the Gators football team credited their first Orange Bowl win over the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets to Gatorade. Now, this is bananas. That's huge. Yes. So the Yellow Jackets coach, so the, the team they played who lost, his name was Bobby Dodd. He was famously asked about his team's loss, like by the media, and he was quoted saying, we didn't have Gatorade, that made the difference. So the other team's coach was giving Gatorade the credit for the team winning, which is probably like he's being sarcastic, like, well, that's the only reason, like, we're better. But that endorsement for Gatorade, do you know what happened after that? Like, everyone was like, how the hell do we get our hands on Gatorade? Gatorade. Every sports team. I mean, immediately the drink game. Was it not, like, sold in stores? No, it was was only for the Florida team. It was like... Some special It was cocktail. two years after it was made, invented. Yeah, that's it. So, but immediately after this happened, I mean, everyone in the sports community wanted their hands on it. And just a few years later in 1969, Gatorade entered into an agreement with a company called Stokely Van Camp Inc. It's a canned food packaging company in the U.S. They do like, you know, like the fish sticks and yeah. you've heard of them. And so they bought the U.S. rights to produce and sell Gatorade like that year. And then they also, that same year, made a licensing agreement with the NFL to be the official sports drink of the NFL. So they went big right away. I mean, people in the sports community were interested because of that one thing. They sold it to a food distribution company. And then that company was like, we're buying the rights of the NFL right now. Oh my God. I mean, this is for the 69, it was invented in 65, four years later. Four years later. And they're buying NFL rights. Yes. So you've heard of and seen the Gatorade shower, right? No. What? Yes, you have. Didn't you play soccer? Like I feel like. Oh, like like where they dump it on your thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, do you know that that was originally called the Gatorade dunk? And do you know how it came to be? Well, that's why when you said shower, I'm like, what? Well, that's that's what I've only ever known of it as. But like Wikipedia said, it's also called the Gatorade dunk. I don't know. It actually started in the mid-80s when Harry Carson and Jim Burt of the New York Giants doused head coach Bill Parcells during the 1985 season. And after that moment, like, it took off like wildfire. And every team now, usually like at the championship game, it's not like every game. Over the coach, yeah. So, like, can you imagine if it's really Gatorade, how sticky you would be? So gross. But it's like a moment that everyone waits to watch at the end of the game. Yes, exactly. Like, I remember, I mean, I grew up in Chicago. So, like, the Chicago Bulls, and we'll get there. It's like, I remember watching them just, like, they did the three-peat and all, like, the Gatorade shower and how much, like, energy was on the the court. You know, it's so cool. 
But what's crazy is, you know, this drink was invented on the University of Florida campus. Okay. So they owned the drink. Even though they sold it to Stokely, whatever, they still got royalties. And they still get royalties today. Oh, my gosh. So by 2015, royalties from Gatorade to the original founders, so that would be like the university and then the families of the scientists. Okay. Had surpassed $1 billion by 2015, just the royalties. Like, even if it's like, imagine it's probably a very small percentage or a penny or a, some, a small number per drink. I mean, a billion dollars in royalties. Oh, my God. And that was almost 10 years ago. Like, I can't imagine what it is today. No. I couldn't find the stat. Yeah. But today, Gatorade dominates the U.S. sports drink category, holding approximately 75% market share. Oh, my God. I know, because Powerade's gross. Powerade's disgusting. And today, Gatorade's owned by Pepsi. But before it was owned by Pepsi, it was purchased by Quaker Oats in 1983 for $220 million. And they actually won it over bidding rival Pillsbury. And that's where we're starting the story with Quaker Oats because there's so many angles we could cover with Gatorade. It's They've done a million things, really made really bad decisions, made really smart decisions. But the most iconic is the Be Like Mike campaign. Oh, yeah. I mean, it. I remember it vividly from my childhood. Me too. That's why I'm like, that's the only Gatorade commercial I can really remember. Yeah. And like I said, I'm from Chicago, so obviously Michael Jordan and the Bulls were like a huge deal, but also Quaker Oats was based in Chicago. You know what's interesting? So I wonder, because we watched cable TV, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't have cable TV anymore. No, but then we did. But so I wonder what, because there's not, I mean, there are commercials, but- they're so different. I wonder if our kids are going to remember any commercials. Because I like, I vividly remember these ad campaigns and commercials. But I wonder if our kids they will. will because mine, there's not a lot of. There are. My kids watch. I don't have YouTube Premium. My kids watch YouTube commercials, and it's all. It's way more targeted. So they're going to be hit with. And same with Hulu. when we're watching Hulu. I don't have the commercial Hulu, free one. I feel like they changed it because I pay for commercial free, and I feel like a certain amount like shows. There's no option for commercial free. Probably the live shows. Do you have live TV? I have live, but I was watching reruns and they still... Yeah, I don't know. I, I like commercials. I, I mean, as a marketer, I'm like that actually, I like to see what I'm targeted with. I feel like I like I don't mind them at yeah. all. But I think our kids will, I think actually they'll remember them more. They're addicted to the computers and YouTube and like they're being targeted all day with like different forms of commercials, social media ads. Like it's just going to be different. Different, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I know. But... Gatorade's Be Like Mike campaign, Alexis, has gone down in history as one of the most memorable and the most effective campaigns in sports marketing. In sports marketing. Mm-hmm. And in order to get down to, like, the creation of the campaign, we have to start in the 80s. Okay. Like, what better place yeah, to start? Yeah, I remember. It's a great year. Great decade, I mean. So, big hair, bright colors, leotards galore. I remember, man. There. I My mom made me do this stupid dance thing. It's a dance? Dude, she made me, dude. Yeah. You're like, I love you so much. You're not coordinated at all. Well, you know why? Okay, so my best friend, Janelle, she was like dance family, USC cheerleader, sister, all this stuff. And she was like big into dance. And so I just did everything that she did. Mm -hmm. And she was good. And I was horrible. And yeah, I was probably the one doing like the opposite move <laughs> that everyone else was doing. But it was like, it's so funny because I quit and the mom's like, you're never going to be a USC cheerleader. And I'm like, good. I don't <laughs> want to be a USC cheerleader. 
<laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Do you have any videos from that time in your no, life? No, but I have embarrassing ass pictures. I would love to see them. Well, I have one like home movie somewhere. Okay, good. Around that time in the 80s, Gatorade was doing about $600 million in annual revenue and it was growing at unprecedented rates. Okay. So I do have some insider information here from one of our like Will It Stick super fans. Okay. His name is Bob Roth and we're for sure going to interview him eventually about this because he actually worked in Gatorade, in marketing during this time. <gasps> mm-hmm. Awesome. So I actually had like a pre-call with him because he was very excited to give us some scoop. And he suggested the topic and just really told me some information that's not published anywhere. <gasps> so I'm going to share it with you. Okay. In the mid like to late 80s, Gatorade was entertaining conversations with Coca-Cola. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. And there were talks of a pretty sizable, like, potential acquisition of Gatorade by Coke at that time. Okay. And it was the 80s. Things were different. There weren't a lot of NDAs being signed. Things were kind of a handshake, old boys club kind of deal. Something leaks. Kind of deal. And, you know, I'm sure the Quaker Oats execs were, like, kind of pumped about the perspective of, like, a pretty big payday. Like, Coke, that's a big deal if they want to buy it. Yeah. So they let their guard down. They were friendly. They let them in. They were sharing details, probably about how Gatorade's made, revenue numbers, some marketing strategies. They were just kind of an open book. They were friendly Midwestern people. And according to Bob, you know what happened? They screwed him. In 1988, Coca-Cola announced that it was launching Powerade. It stole the secrets. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And Quaker Oats and Gatorade, I mean, they were the same company, but still. They were pissed. They were like, what the actual... Oh, my God. Like, how horrible, right? And so now it was just war between the two brands. It was like Quaker Oats and Coke were like at war. And around the same time, Pepsi, who like, remember, they hadn't bought Gatorade yet. They were totally separate. They came out with a drink called All Sport. Do you remember that drink? No. Yeah, I didn't either. It was like a fizzy sports beverage, which, why? Why? It sounds Um, not refreshing at all. No, but in reality, that added competition to the market. So suddenly, competition was fierce. I mean, originally it was Gatorade, now it was Gatorade, Powerade, and Allsport. And Bob told me that prior to Powerade and Allsport, like he and his team would just go to a 7-Eleven and they would have like five to eight shelves of just Gatorade. And at that time... Actually, if this is the late 80s, there weren't a ton of Gatorade flavors. The original were only lemon, lime, and orange for like decades. And then in the, I think, early 90s, maybe late 80s, Fruit Punch was added and a few others. Oh my gosh. Now um, they have everything. Yeah, now there's a ton. So suddenly, though, when all these other brands were there, they were narrowed to like two shelves at 7-Eleven. And here's the problem. Gatorade was distributed through distributors. So Gatorade didn't have direct control over... Where the shelf space. Being delivered to the 7-Eleven. But Powerade was distributed direct through Coke because Coke had its own distribution. So that meant that Coke had more control. And this is going to blow your mind how shady this is. Gatorade would, like, they came out at that time with a Gatorade that would go in the fountain at gas stations. The Coke people would put, like, gas in the soda fountain line of Gatorade to fuck it up. Like, it was a war. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, like, they had to stop doing Gatorade and fountains because it was, like, That's tampered crazy. with. Now it's back in Taco Bell. Totally. Yeah. 
And I think at some gas stations I've seen it before too. But Gatorade's move to retaliate was a pretty big one. All right, let's hear it. They stole Michael Jordan from Coke. Oh, yes. So in the late 80s, Gatorade purchased courtside seats next to the Bulls bench in the old Chicago Stadium. And there was a guy named Bill Schmidt. He was also known as Schmooze Master Schmidt. I'm like, really? Every time someone has a nickname, I'm like, where's mine? <laughs> Schmooze Master Schmidt. I love it. Oh. And he worked for the parent company of Gatorade. And he, so he had these courtside seats and he would just send cases of Gatorade to Michael Jordan's home because Michael Jordan like liked it. Yeah. And he got kind of friendly with him. And at that time, Jordan was locked into a deal with Coke where he was one of like 30-ish endorsers. Like he wasn't the only one. There was like a bunch of famous people who Coke was paying. Yeah. And Schmidt said he wanted Michael for the brand like ever since he watched him hit the winning shot in the 1982 NCAA Finals. So in 91, when it came time to renegotiate Jordan's deal with Coke, his manager suggested a sealed bid process like for any brands who wanted to hire him. Yeah. And he made it clear to all these brands that Michael wanted a 10-year, seven-figure deal per year. Like that was all he was, like that's what he was pursuing. Oh my well, Coke was cocky because Coke was like, we're Coke. <laughs> like, yeah, we can do okay, we're not like, we'll give you what we think you deserve. So they offered him a five-year deal. And Gatorade came in strong right out of the gates with a 10-year, $1.4 million per year deal. So that's like a... total contract, like million dollars. And obviously Coke lost the bid. But so like when Coke realized they lost the bid, they were like, oh, we were just kidding. Like, we'll give you a 10-year deal. And Michael Jordan's manager and Michael Jordan were like, no, too late. Like, we are signing with Gatorade. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. So that must have felt so nice for Gatorade. Because, but they weren't, it was Michael Jordan doing Powerade at the time? No, no he was not. Coke. Yes. He was just like, I don't even know how they broke up the endorsement, but yeah, it was just Coke. So the reality was having Michael Jordan as your spokesperson got the brand instant credibility. Like, especially in countries where Gatorade had zero presence. I mean, Michael Jordan was arguably the number one celebrity across the world in the 90s, right? Yeah. So, like, right away, other countries were like, Michael Jordan drinks Gatorade. What's Gatorade and how do we get it? Yeah, I can be like Mike. Yep. But now that they, like, had him, Gatorade had a huge challenge because – Michael Jordan has always been in some pretty badass commercials with like Nike and Coke by this time. And they knew they had to come up with an ad campaign that would be worthy of this huge investment they made with this icon. Yeah. So they called on their ad agency, Bayer Bess Vanderwerker. We'll call him BBV because that's a long name. And they were like, you got to help us come up with something amazing. So the creative process actually started like around February 1991, right after the All-Star Game. And it ended when the first ad aired in August 91. So that's a pretty quick, I mean, February to August. That's crazy. Yep. And as always, Alexis, the best ideas often come from the most random places. Okay, where did this one come from? Let me first tell you what first happened. So the agency, like they were hard at work and they produced a draft version of the campaign. And this draft featured just highlights of Michael Jordan dunking. Okay. It was basically like the same ad that Nike had been running for years. Okay. Like nothing really super different. And despite the concept like being approved kind of by Gatorade, they were like, that works. Okay. We're fine. Midway through the production, the agency was like, this is not different enough. Like it's not going to work. 
So they decided to really beg one of their former creative executives, his name was Bernie Pitzel, to like come back and work on the project. And he looked at this campaign that the agency had put together and he was like, no, like this is not going to work. But the problem is (laughs) they had like three days at this point to come up with something else. Three days. (laughs) <laughs> Three days? Because, like, they'd already spent so much time on this other concept. And when they realized it wasn't going to, like, be amazing enough, they had three days. So Pitzel was like, okay, I-, I can do this. So Pitzel got to work. And instantly, he remembered a movie that he had just watched with his five-year-old son. The Disney movie, The Jungle Book. Okay. okay. It came out like in the 60s. So it was not a new movie at this time. But he had recently <laughs> watched like it. You. Yep. Yep. And the movie like became the inspiration for the campaign. Let me show you this, Lex. I love it. I want to be like you. I want to walk like you. Talk like you. So it was that song specifically, I Want to Be Like You, that inspired them. Which is weird because when I hear that song, like, I don't get inspiration. I don't either. Like, at all. Yeah, but everyone wants to be like Michael Jordan. I know, but, like, the lyrics of the song, the the, the song that we're going to get to that ends up happening, yes. But, like, if they originally were going to use that song, that was their goal, and just change like some you. of the words. Walk yeah, like you. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I guess. Oh, go I want to be like you. Ooh, ooh. Ooh, you said you would never sing on this podcast. <laughs> oh, shit, I did it. What is that happening You better delete that. No. I mean, Jungle Book is my jam. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, anyways, he was like, I'm inspired by this song, and he got to work. He took those clips of Michael Jordan from, like, the Nike ads, similar yeah. to the other campaign, and he put them to that music, I Want to Be Like You. And the sample ad ended with the message, be like Mike, drink Gatorade. And he planned on, like with the actual final version, changing some of the lyrics of the song to say, be like Mike, because he wanted that to really like be driven home. Yeah. So Pitzel shared this concept with Gatorade and they freaked out. They were like, yes, this is it. This is amazing. They were high-fiving. Everyone was like, this is going to crush it and Coke is going to be so fucking pissed. Yes. But the biggest hurdle they thought they would face was whether or not Michael Jordan would be okay being referred to as Mike because, like, he wasn't really called that at that point. And they asked him, and you know what his response was? You can call me Mike, Michael, or Air. I'll get used to it. Oh, (laughs) yes. like, I don't care. So Pitzel— He's like, you're paying me a million bucks a year, man. 1.4 million a year, whatever. Call me what you want. Call me whatever (laughs) you want. Um, So Pitzel and the agency approached Disney about licensing the song, which they didn't think would be a big deal. But Disney was like, you're funny. (laughs) It's going to cost 350 grand for you to use it for five weeks for commercial use. Oh, my God. And and you can't change any lyrics. And they were like, Uh, no, no. Hard pass. Like Gatorade could not swallow that fee. And they certainly like want – like changing the lyrics was a huge part of it. So Pitzel was kind of pissed at first, kind of depressed. But you know what you got to do, Alexis, when you're really stuck in the mud and you just got to find a way out? You sit down and you get to work. And you create your own song. And he sat down at his favorite Chicago restaurant or bar. I don't know what it was, but it was called Avanzaire. And he wrote brand new lyrics to his own song called Be Like Mike for hours, all on cocktail napkins. Oh, my gosh. 
And when he came up with the lyrics, he faxed them because, remember, 1991. And he faxed these lyrics to four different music companies to see what kind of tune they could put to it. Okay. They ended up landing on songwriters Ira Antelis and Steve Shafter. And the duo composed the melody in like 15 minutes flat. Oh my God. So quick. That would be so cool to be able to like write a song in 15 minutes. Well, I think they the lyrics took hours, but the music because it was pretty short. Oh yeah, and it's kind of like reggae-y sounding, like kind of yeah. We'll we'll play it for you. Sometimes I dream that he is me. Got to see that's how I dream to be. So Alexis, it was a go. It was a go. And the result was the commercial song that the world came to love. And the agency and Gatorade knew that if they had paid all that money to Disney and they had like simply licensed the existing song, it would never have had the same impact, right? Never. Like it would have been forgotten. So now with that approval and... Like everyone's excited, the agency arranged for a few kids to be filmed playing basketball with none other than Michael Jordan. I mean, how cool. How do you, like, get, how do you like, get that phone call? I was going to say, like, you're just, um, today we just, do you want to just come hang out with Michael Jordan? And you know which kids got to go do it? All the kids of like the advertising and Quaker Oats execs. Like they just got to go to a Chicago basketball court and just play ball with Michael Jordan. I mean, Jordan. I'm not going to lie. I benefited a lot. Because my dad did Mattel and some of those other brands. So sometimes they would just need kids for the photo shoot. And I wouldn't make money. How did you not get to be in a Barbie commercial? I think I was in a Barbie photo shoot and Pound Puppy photo shoot. Oh, I loved Pound Puppies. I know. Did Mattel do Cabbage Patch? I think they did, yeah. I know. Maybe your dad can get me in a commercial. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anyways, back to this commercial. I mean... These kids were so excited. So they took that footage, they put it to the music, and boom, on August 8th, 1991, just about eight months since like they first inked that deal with Michael Jordan, and they started getting creative and like thinking of ideas, they launched the first commercial. And it happened to be on the same day that Gatorade announced their sponsorship of Michael Jordan. Like it was all in one fell swoop. They held a press conference, announced it, played the commercial, and then that same week, they also ran a giant eight-page fold-out print ad in Sports Illustrated, like to really pump it up. Remember those things? Like, remember on any magazine, you'd pull out like the insert and it would be this poster that you would just hang on your wall with that putty? Oh, yeah. I had like the teeny bopper ones. Me too. I had Brad Joey. Pitt was in, oh, New Kids on the Joey Block. Joey McIntyre, New Kids on the Block. I would jump off my bed and jump and kiss him. Oh, my God. I love that. I was like... 
Yeah, I had, I couldn't put anything on my walls, but. I don't uh, let my kids put anything on their walls. I'm the worst mom. My kids try to like tape their artwork. Mine do too. And they tell me I'm the worst mom. Shit off the wall. I'm like, here's like, clip it over here. Put it on the outside refrigerator. They're like, no one sees it. I'm like, well. My mother-in-law, bless her heart. She texted me like last Christmas and she was like, so what do you think about if I buy these kids, your kids, like this Disney princess artwork for their new bedrooms in the new house? And I was like, great idea. So generous. I did hire interior designers to design my whole house perfectly, including their bedrooms. So pass. Pass. No. No I mean, I have a Pokemon room here. Well, you're a better mom than me, so you win. Bright red Pokeball room. Pokeball? That's going to be free. Is that really what it is? Pokeball? Pokeball. It's like the ball that they throw at each other, and that's Caden's room is like that. Wow. Well, anyways, there are a few reasons why this whole thing works so well. Like The whole campaign, the whole commercial was so perfect. First, like, they called him Mike instead of Michael, or even like Michael Jordan. And this made him seem so much more approachable, so much more real. And before this, he hadn't really been called Mike before. Really? That's yeah, like this was the first time. And so it made a kid really feel like he could be like Mike. Like yeah. that was real. And of course, you know, Michael Jordan was arguably the biggest celebrity in the 90s around the world at this time. So using him in the ad about being like Mike implied to kids everywhere that if they wanted to be like Mike, they should drink Gatorade. And you know what's so crazy? He looks so young in those ads. I know. He's like... It's like a baby a face. baby. I wonder how... Was he like 22, 23? Oh, he must have been in his 20s. Wow. Yeah. And clearly the target audience was like kids and teens for this campaign. And who can kids and teens influence? Uh, their parents. Mostly moms. Moms who are going to buy the Gatorade for Yes. Them. I mean, moms are the ones who do the shopping for home. So those kids and those teens were watching the commercials and they were like, mom, I want to be like Mike. I need Gatorade. Gatorade. And the moms bought the hell out of Gatorade. Brilliant. And you know, I chatted with our good friend Bob Roth about this and he said that he's been part of a lot of campaigns, but this one was his favorite hands down. And he said that kids like clearly make the grocery decisions. So targeting this campaign to them made so much sense, but no other brands were really thinking like that. Yeah. Like we talked a long time ago about Barbie. You covered it. And like Barbie was one of the first brands to do toy commercials on TV targeting kids to tell their parents. Yeah. But like brands weren't doing that often. So and now that's all they do. Yeah. Along with this commercial, Gatorade did a lot of like grassroots marketing with kids' sports. They'd give away cups and coolers and products to Little League and Pop Warner. So they were infiltrating kids everywhere. Smart. Smart. But interestingly though, when you really drill down to the numbers, Gatorade increased somewhat, but the profits did not really increase that much from the Be Like Mike commercial. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Like it was beloved. It elevated Gatorade's brand awareness like around the world, but it didn't increase sales enough. So when they saw that was happening, they made a change to the commercial and they ended up bringing in more clips of just like Mike being amazing on the basketball court, like from actual games, right? And they put it to that new song and that actually did help increase sales, which is interesting. But regardless, Gatorade still chalks this up to a huge success mostly because they prevented Coke from using MJ to promote Powerade. Like, they stole him out from under Coke. Maybe the reason why, like, the other commercial worked better is because it targeted, like, an older audience that maybe could buy Gatorade. Like, and it's more 
aspirational, like, oh my God, I need to, like, I want to slam dunk like that. Like him playing on the court showed him relatable, but people like aspirational things of like what they want to be like in their head. If they're a basketball player, like if I drink it, I'm going to dunk that high. I'm going to run that thing. That's totally why it increased. Yeah. Relatable works for certain things, but like aspirational, like really works. works. Yeah, I agree. Well, in 2015, during its 50th anniversary celebration, Gatorade re-aired a digitally remastered version of the commercial during NBA All-Star Weekend. The ending included a hashtag, Be Like Mike, to help it get shared like even further on social. And then in 2017, they did a collaboration of Gatorade and Air Jordan, and they released the Be Like Mike collection. And this included shoes, clothes, accessories, and it all featured Gatorade's branding. Cool, huh? So cool. (laughs) So overall, Quaker Oats did pretty dang good with this whole deal. And by 1996, Gatorade revenue was $283 million from sales in more than 45 countries. Did Quaker Oats own Wheaties or whatever? Because didn't like one of those cereals had a, I want to be like Mike. No, General Mills owned it, but I don't, I mean, yeah, they had like Michael Jordan on the box. So I don't know where, maybe that was earlier. I'm not sure. But in 2001, PepsiCo bought Quaker Oats, like the whole company, for $13 billion with a B. And according to Bob, and in lots of my research, it was because they wanted Gatorade. That was like the only reason they bought the entire company. And at that time, Gatorade was doing about $2 billion in revenue B with a, a year. B with a B. Mm-hmm. B with <laughs> a B. Billion with a billion. B with a B, Alexis. B with a B. Yeah, billion with a B. Billion with a B. And that's crazy. And PepsiCo reported that in the first quarter of 2022, Gatorade generated double-digit growth. Like, they first are quarter, still double- growing. They're still growing. It's just really hard to pin down like an exact figure, but it seems like Gatorade does somewhere around 6.7 billion, B with a B, in retail volume sales per year. You know what's crazy? So I just looked at Instagram for Gatorade and they have like every country has an Instagram. Oh, like a separate Gatorade Instagram? Yeah, it's like Gatorade Mexico, Gatorade US. And the Mexico one is killing it. Like their graphics are awesome. Like they're real people. It's really cool. So cool. Well, what do you think, Lex? Will it stick? Considering we buy pellets of it, it will stick. (laughs) And it's sticky if you spill it. And if your kids spill it on your wood floors, it's not a fun day to be a mom. That's an average, that's a every weekend occurrence over here. So let me just first shout out a few of my sources real quick. First of all, Bob Roth, shout out to you, Bob. You're a pleasure. You're a joy. We appreciate you. Thank you. Also, Wikipedia was awesome. There was a great ESPN article from 2016 by Darren Revel, and it was all about the 25th anniversary of the Be Like Mike campaign. And the Associated Press article from 2020 by Gary Gerald Hamilton, all about how the Be Like Mike jingle almost didn't happen. Okay, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Please follow us on anywhere you listen to your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the places, all the places, and leave us a five-star review, please. And follow us on Instagram and let us know what you want us to cover. We are back, back in action. Back in action. See you soon. Bye.